0: God's word today. Let us turn to Second Timothy Chapter 2 verses eleven to 13. Second Timothy Chapter 2 verses eleven to 13. Here is a trustworthy saying if we died with him, we also we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Again, let us read. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. God is the faithful one. God is the faithful one. God is the faithful one. in first Corinthians chapter one, nine in various places, it records that God is faithful, as he is faithful, he does not lie, and what he promised by his word, he will surely fulfil, as it says in second thessalonians chapter five twenty four that the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So those who believe in him, he will reward them with righteousness and faithfulness. So those who believe him, he will reward with righteousness and faithfulness. First Samuel 26, 23, it, it says, the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. As he is faithful, he surely keeps his promises. And those who put effort as they believe him, he what he will reward them with is with righteousness and faithfulness faith is to believe in this fact that God is faithful we believe that God is faithful faithful God is faithful to believe that is what faith is our faith life is faithful because we believe that to a thousand generations we hold on to his covenant and even if we die we will not deny the lord that we will not deny the lord even if we die we'd rather die than deny the lord as we will reign as kings reign as kings where in heaven in the eternal kingdom of heaven we will reign like kings forever and we have this great promise given to us Believing that God is faithful is very important, therefore. The value of humans, where is it placed? Some people have greater worth and value than others. And in the world, the standards may be about how much talent they have or how successful they are, um, how how much good they have done. Uh, This is how the value of humans are assessed in the world. And according to that, uh, that's how people are treated. According to the Bible, who is the most valuable person and what is the standard of that? It's trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. So are they someone to be trusted? No matter how smart or talented, even in the world, if there's no trust and a person is not trustworthy, then their value is very low. So there are sayings like, even if the world collapses, uh, he's someone you can trust. And if you're rated that way, you are the most valuable person and recognized as one. Religions believe in some vague concept of a supernatural God and have this wishful thinking that perhaps there is a God out there. And according to that desire and wish, they call on, to such a god and even pour out their hearts uh, for that but christianity is different from religions in that it is the faith by revelation for god reveals himself as the one and only true god that there is no other god beside him and we believe that he created and by his righteousness he will judge and by his grace he also redeems so he is the Creator, judge, and redeemer. and um, th- there are many attributes of God and this uh, but the Christian in the Christian faith, we believe that He is the Creator, judge, and redeemer. and that is the faith of Christians. And what is our faith based on? It is the Bible. The Bible is the foundation of our faith. From this one book, three religions have come from it. Judaism islam and christianity they have come from the bible uh, but these religions have gone astray from the truth and this is the satanic work so the basis of our faith where is it if it is the bible then we have to know what the bible says and what must we gain from the bible and further how we must live and in what direction we should go As we are closing 2023, next week will be Christmas service. And then the 31st will be the New Year's Eve service. We really uh, have to examine ourselves. Do we have the faith that God desires, that he demands? So we have to examine ourselves. So where's the basis of our faith? And do we have that faith that God demands from us? So let us listen carefully. Our ancestor Adam was in the Garden of Eden, and as God found him trustworthy, he allowed him to rule over the garden, and that's why God gave him this position and responsibility. However, we see that rather than ruling over the garden, he was deceived as he listened to his wife, who was deceived by the serpent, and they ate the fruit that God had commanded them not to eat, thereby losing God's trust. God had found him trustworthy, but he broke this trust by disobeying his command. As a result of sin, they became slaves of the devil destined to follow him to hell. God revealed how he is the faithful God by calling on people and through the events in the Bible. First, there was Noah who was warned that there would be a flood by faith by faith after he heard the warning of the great flood he believed what god told him as is and he built the ark for 70 years and he and his family were saved whether or not they heard of the flood through rumors or others but as noah built the ark he saved himself and his family which was the result of building the ark. Whether they heard or not, the rest, whether they heard or not, they were all wiped out by the flood. Those who did not build the ark were all wiped out. Noah believed the word he was given, as is, and did as is, and therefore he and his family were saved while the whole world was wiped out. God commended him as one who was righteous. He did this righteous work. Later on, God called Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, 1, it, the Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And that if you listen to what I say, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you abraham heard this and did as god instructed and why he did this we read in genesis chapter eighteen, nineteen. the reason why he had to leave his country and go to the land god shows him was to keep the way of the lord by doing what is right and just keep the way of the lord by doing what is right and just so it's not just to ask for blessings like in the prosperity gospel. May you be blessed coming in and be blessed going out. Blessing all the time. Everything about blessing. it tell, That's not the blessing we're talking about here. It tells us that's not what it is. It says, Keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he promised him. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So God promised that he would give him a blessing, but we did not know what that blessing would be. But in Genesis chapter 18, it clearly says that the purpose of giving him blessing was so that he would keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the lord jehovah will bring about for abraham what he has promised him so that the lord jehovah will bring about for abraham what he has promised him so promising that he would be the father of blessings and telling him to leave his country now that was the purpose and intent of saying that then in the new testament it's further described in hebrews chapter 6:13 hebrews chapter 6:13 Hebrews chapter 6:13 When God made his promise to Abraham since there was no one greater for him to swear by he swore by himself saying I will surely bless you and give you many descendants and so after waiting patiently Abraham received what was promised people swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So God's will does not change and he cannot lie. So these are two facts, two characteristics uh, about God that once his will is established, it is unchanging. And second, it is impossible for God to lie, that he cannot lie. In order to instill this fact in them is why he called Abraham and also gave a promise that after the age of 100, that age of 100, he would bear a son, Isaac. So are you having trouble following? So I'm trying my best to uh, preach today. So you have to support. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So, this sermon is very important. Very, everything is important, but uh, this sermon is uh, also very important for God is faithful and just. And this is what we must believe. God promised blessing uh, to Abraham and swore it as an oath, and he made a covenant. The reason for all this was. To reveal that he surely fulfills his promise. So people swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. That, So he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So two things uh, God does not do are he does not change his will and he cannot lie that he surely keeps his promise and we have to set this as the foundation for us to master genesis and the old testament and in psalm chapter 105 psalms one o five, eight. so god called countless people and made countless covenants promises and e- events as we read in Psalms chapter 105, verse 8 He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. So, all the things that happened after Abraham, all the events that occurred. that occurred are summarized very well here. The covenant God made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Israel as an everlasting covenant, a law. So everlasting covenant, law. So to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, throughout these generations, God made a covenant so that they could all the more believe Through the event of Abraham giving birth to a son past childbearing age, it displays that God's covenant does not change. And for them to surely believe that he even guaranteed and secured it by the oath he swore and by confirming it as a decree and an everlasting covenant. So there are people with wishful thinking that if they go to church and beg and plead and pray about uh, giving their daughter-in-law a son, they pray about that and uh, naming that son Isaac. If she does give a birth to a son, they believe that that is the blessing and the faith that God gives. So the pastor prays and the family prays. So is so this is not what we are talking about. It's not wishful thinking that God desires from us. He wants us to know that God is. Faithful God is faithful. He is faithful and he cannot lie. And once he establishes his will, it is unchanging. And to instill that in men, he carried out his works throughout history. And that's recorded here in the Bible. Amen. And now in an effort for a whole nation to believe this, there was the event of the exodus of Israel that God, promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 verses 13 to 14 God made a promise to Abraham who's that he would have descendants uh, that come from him and they would go to a foreign nation and be captive there for four generations that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated there and uh, afterward they will come out so he still had yet to have a child but god promised that from him descendants would come and they'd be enslaved and then freed after four generations so in genesis chapter fifteen thirteen, it says for 400 years that the people of israel would be slaves in egypt and in exodus chapter twelve forty one, it says 430 years and in genesis 1513 it says 400 years so the difference there's only 30 years difference here but it was to show that what God had promised to Abraham even after four generations even after 430 years it was surely fulfilled and what's important here was not the nation of Israel But that through their history of being enslaved in Egypt, it was to reveal that God is surely one who keeps his promise. To display and reveal that is why he chose the people of Israel. And they were enslaved and then liberated and were promised to enter the land of Canaan. all this was a process to show that God is one who surely fulfills by showing them countless signs and wonders they were liberated from Egypt and were led and were to be led to the land promised to their ancestors the promised land flowing with milk and honey but they found themselves in the desert instead so they were disappointed and were resentful and complained and asked A result, aside from two, everyone else from the older generation were struck dead in the desert. So the Israelites, but they did not go extinct because the Israelites were used as a tool to show that God would surely keep his promise. So their descendants, the new generation people, those born in the desert, and Joshua and Caleb were able to enter the land of Canaan. David was also such a descendant and he had the faith that really pleased God Saul uh, was his father-in-law and as David was so popular and talented Saul felt threatened and felt uh, challenged to his throne so he was jealous and tried to get rid of David every chance he got there was an incident uh, while hiding in a cave David had the opportunity to kill Saul but David said the lord rewards the lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness the lord delivered you into my hands today but i would not lay a hand on the lord's anointed so david could have killed saul but he spared him as god he believed god rewards everyone for their For their righteousness and faithfulness, those that he will reward with his righteousness and faithfulness, that those who believe in the covenant of God will be rewarded with righteousness and faithfulness. So that is why he did not lay a hand on Saul. And ultimately, David became the king. So he was a truly blessed man. However, the people of Israel were stiff necked and they did not believe in the faithfulness of God and their hearts were not set on God so they were destroyed they were taken as captives and lost their sovereignty and when they returned they lived centered around the temple of Jerusalem with the hope that God would send the Messiah and that is when Jesus Christ appeared he appeared before the temple and what did he say he said destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days It is the temple of Jerusalem he appeared before and said the statement. So the temple contained the name of Jehovah and the Ark of Covenant that was made in Jehovah's name to Abraham and his descendants, the people of Israel. They were promised through Abraham that many descendants would come and many nations and kings would come from him, meaning this kingship would continue. They believed in this promise but showed no actions that followed their faith. As they did not believe in the faithfulness of God, they forgot, nor were their hearts set on God. They believed that their kingship would continue in the land of Canaan, and this was the hope that they placed in the temple. But when Jesus said, destroy this temple, And I will raise it again in three days. He was referring to the temple of his body. That uh, the temple of his body. Meaning his death and his resurrection. When the temple would be raised back up. The name that it would contain. Would not be Jehovah. But the name of Yeshua. Yeshua. Now this temple to be raised back up. Would contain the name of Yeshua. And the temple would contain the covenant. Not with the people of Israel, but the covenant that would be made with the souls of all nations. Now to the souls of all nations, the King of Kings would come referring to himself and he would take them to the kingdom of heaven. Those who believe he would take. And that is what he meant when he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. So when he started his public ministry, He went to the synagogue and read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He read the, which was prophecy about himself. And after reading the scripture, um, he he instilled this in the men, And he emphasized uh, Matthew chapter 26, 24 and other places in the Bible. Uh, It says the son of man will go just as it is written about him. That as written, he will come um, and he will work and uh, speak and go as written. So, all the things that were written in the Bible were about the Son of Man coming, his birth the works he'd complete and all uh, and what he would say. And all of this was written and um, acknowledged that, that the work that the son of man would do, the words the son of man would say, all were written and this is what he acknowledged and uh, proclaimed. Lastly, then to his disciples, he said, uh, this very night you will all fall away on account of me for it is written that he prophesied that his disciples would all run away and and he would not be disappointed for this was according to what was written according to what was written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered so whatever the uh, suffering and shame and pain that Jesus Christ had to suffer he was not shaken or wavering at all For it was already written and prophesied and one by one it was being fulfilled and that is why he was able to boldly endure and complete all that he came to do. Finally, as written, he was captured. As written, the one that would betray him would be uh, his disciple. The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me the son of man will go just as it is written about him the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me was Judas Iscariot and he was the one who betrayed Jesus and then on the cross Jesus said it is finished it is finished John chapter nineteen thirty. but something else he said was what was it that there was something else he said that I am thirsty hallelujah so you're very knowledgeable about the Bible. You can tell that to each other. So everything was said with a purpose. So all this, there's a meaning to all this. It wasn't by chance or coincidence. So so when he was about to die in some Bibles uh, versions, it mentions that he did take vinegar. but But then he didn't say, you all try to, kill me I won't drink it but there are places where it mentions that he was thirsty and that he took uh, the drink so it may seem like as the Messiah um, as a savior he was so weak and fragile but the reason he said I am thirsty is because in the Old Testament it was written and prophesied that he would say I am thirsty. The moment before his death, even at that moment, he realized and remembered, I have to say this to truly fulfill the scriptures. This was to show how perfect and exact everything is. That So that the scripture would be fulfilled, he said that. So it's like as if you are walking on stepping stones and you step on... Each stone ensuring uh, you have good balance to make it to the next one. So when we read the Bible, we need to approach it with reverence and fear, not not doze off, um, and find it boring. But in reverence and fear, read the Bible. Hallelujah. So he said, "It is finished," meaning he fulfilled all the scriptures. For all his commands are faithful. In Psalm chapter one, nineteen eighty six. So all your commandments are faithful in some versions. Other versions it says all your commands are trustworthy. Uh, So all your commandments are faithful. That all the commands of God are faithful and therefore must be fulfilled. In order to fulfill all this is why he said that statement even right before his death. So he received this command from the father Saying, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So, this command he received as a faithful command from the faithful God, and to fulfill that is why he used his free will to lay down his life, for he knew he would be raised back up. With his death, he condemned the devil, the liar. So, when we say that Adam died, that it was the second Adam who died in the place of the first Adam that Jesus Christ the second Adam died in the place of the first Adam and then condemning the devil as a liar and third with his death he redeemed the souls of all mankind by paying the price of sin death and as we read before he is still faithful that he remains faithful and um that yet the Lord remains faithful. That yet the Lord remains faithful. So we, all mankind, as uh, we read uh, in 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. This is a faithful saying. Uh, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And then next, he will also... Den- if we deny him, he we, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we are faithless, so all mankind, so if we, so all mankind, all those in Adam, all mankind are faithless, unfaithful. There is is no faithfulness in mankind. That if they say they're not ones who can't lie, but there are those who, who say, Lord, Lord, and there and a lie and there is deceit and there are lies and are always changing and therefore mankind is described as faithless but it says he remains faithful that yet he remains faithful from when from the beginning from when so from the beginning in eternity as the word he was faithful the word that was in the beginning the word is the covenant of god the prophecy of god and he does not change and he cannot lie so he yet he remains faithful so mankind betrayed him and that is how jesus christ was led to his death because the first adam betrayed the second adam he, he died so he could blame so he could have blamed the first adam but jesus did not have any complaints or resentment or grumbling but of his own accord he laid down his life and completed this work this was established in the beginning and fulfilled that in before creation in the beginning from everlasting so now let us turn to isaiah Chapter 63, 16, verse 16. But you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, or Israel acknowledge us. You, Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from old is your name. So God is our father. You are our father, though Abraham does not know us, or Israel acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. So the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, and to Israel as an everlasting covenant that even if they are not acknowledged and uh they and Abraham does not know them it says but it says you are our father you Jehovah our our father and this is the confession that is made here that you Lord our our father our redeemer from of old is your name that from of old from everlasting Meaning from eternity, you are our Redeemer. That your name, the name of the Father is Redeemer. In eternity, God decided to become the Father of, of all mankind. How? By redeeming, by his redemptive work. And what is redemption? It is to pay the price of and purchase back. So it is to pay the price of sin. So the price of s- the sin of the first Adam, mankind, was paid for by the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And this is so important, and that is why I mentioned this countless times, that our Redeemer from of old is your name, that our Redeemer from of old is your name, that from everlasting, that in eternity before angels were created, God, when God alone existed, He did not need a place or space but he existed and he is the one and only true God as he does not need time and space and he decided then in eternity that he would redeem mankind and give birth to his children by his blood and become their father so now uh, tell each other what you just heard So what is redemption? Redemption, it is to pay the price of sin with his blood. For example, let's say a slave ran away and this slave winds up for sale at an auction. And though he is the master's runaway slave, but as the master has mercy on such life, he pays the price of the slave that was His to begin with. So he pays with his own money to buy back this slave. And then frees him. That is what redemption means. Amen. We were created by God. We belong to God. But as we were taken by the devil. Belong to the devil. As we were deceived and sinned. Following him to hell. But before... Adam the devil and the universe were created all this was decided and planned in eternity that he would pay for the price of sin with his blood for us to become his children and he would become our father and this is the will he established in eternity and this will is unchanging and he cannot lie now this is So His will is unchanging, and He cannot lie. Now this will was already established in eternity, and it is when Jesus Christ died that it was fulfilled, and it was to show that yet He remains faithful, that His heart and will did not change towards mankind, and that is why He came and died on the cross. Hallelujah! So there are two things God cannot do, uh, two unchangeable things that his will is unchanging and he cannot lie. So in eternity, he established this as a promise and that covenant was fulfilled with the son's death on the cross. Amen. Hallelujah. He died and resurrected and ascended to heaven and now sits on the throne of judgment. He now sits on the throne of judgment. In Psalm chapter 9, 4, it says he judges righteously. And shortly after, he sent the Holy Spirit, who comes to whom? He comes to those justified by faith, meaning those with the blood of Jesus. Now, the more time passes, the more they realize that God is faithful. How could he be so faithful? That when he establishes his will, it does not change. And he surely keeps what he promises. The Holy Spirit helps us to be, to believe that and be moved by such fact. That whatever the unbelievers or the unbelieving world says about God, it does not change the fact that God is faithful. That what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. So I believe that God... Is faithful and just. Do you believe that? Now, as a Christian, whatever the test, a uh, Christian may go through and trials or temptations, you do not, you cannot fall and be tempted, because in First Corinthians 10:13 it mentions that God does not give us a, a test we cannot endure. That. And God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So when we are tested, he will provide a way out. That even if we have to give uh, our only son as a burnt sacrifice, that there is no test or temptation that we cannot endure for he will provide a way out. That there will surely be a way out. That even with martyrs, God will provide a way out that even if beheaded, he will give a chance to participate in the first resurrection. So, those who are persecuted and suffer for the sake of God, they will be able to commit their spirit to the faithful Lord. That those who suffer according to God's will will be able to commit themselves will, to the faithful Lord, and those who overcome and endure such, their souls will be received by the faithful Lord. And then second, for he is the faithful and just one, whatever the command or providence, we say, what do we say? Yes. Amen. That is as in him, in Jesus, in Christ, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So we don't say no, but let there only be yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we are soldiers of Christ. I am a soldier of Christ. So how are military units or the army maintained? By command, by order. There's no questioning why or saying no. There must only be yes for the army and military to be maintained. And for us, who is our commander? Is it the pastor? I may be just the captain or the squadron leader. So there are these rankings in the army. And so it's not the highest ranking position, but the someone like the squadron leader or captain, uh, but the one who is above, uh, the head, commander is jesus christ the king of kings and the lord of lords the army is maintained it functions by order by command so there is only yes amen so you say there's only yes so you say yes sir you say yes sir to whatever command or order you receive that anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the law to the rules so that we may when we compete according to the law rules we will receive the crown for he is faithful and just faithful meaning it is impossible for him to lie and uh, when we say he is just meaning his will is unchanging that, that meaning that it's according to the law so faithful meaning it's imp- that meaning that he cannot lie and that his will is unchanging and that's what faithful means but when we say he is just it's according to the law he does not lie he surely keeps his will and it's unchanging that what he means is anything he commands as law there is only yes sir so that you may receive the crown do you want to enter the holy city you when you you die you do not want to be outside weeping and gnashing your teeth but boldly and confidently you enter the temple the holy city that's what you want and only those who compete according to the rules uh the law and wear their crowns can enter that only those who receive the victor's crown and compete according to the rules can enter so hebrews chapter 10 so after believing in Jesus we have not overcome sin there is always sin lurking the Law condemned the actions and outwardly things. But Jesus also condemned what is in one's heart. So we have this desire to sin um, with the mind and with the heart and, and our actions. So we have this problem of sin till the end. And what he desires and commands from us is in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 29. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? So this is very scary. And do you think it's not related to you as you've overcome it? Or after reading, are you fearful? If after reading this verse and you fear nothing, then your conscience has been seared. And if so... There is no solution. But if your conscience is still alive. Then after reading this. It ought to strike you. And convict you. It says. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished. Who has trampled the son of God. underfoot, foot. Who has treated as an unholy thing. The blood of the covenant. That sanctified him. That treated it as an unholy thing. The blood of the covenant. That sanctified him. And who has insulted the spirit of grace. So it's written right here. If your conscience is still alive, that Jesus also condemned and distinguished the sins of one's action and also what's in one's heart. That even if you did not commit adultery, if you had a lustful heart, then that was the same. So all of that and what's here, if you know that, you must be in fear and trembling and this must keep you up at night that only the fearful expectation of judgment is left does that mean there's no hope That does that mean we have no hope does it mean that if you read just this then there is no hope for all of us fall under this so does that mean there's only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that awaits us but so fortunately Fortunately, uh, this passage in 1 John chapter 1, it gives us hope. 1 John chapter 1, 8. That if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. If these verses were not here, then we are doomed. All mankind would be doomed as we cannot go to heaven. But there is this verse here. And if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. So regarding Isaiah chapter sixty-three, sixteen, every morning, every morning, prayer, I think of this verse again and again. From everlasting, from eternity, God is our Father and He is our Redeemer Father. From Him comes redemption and the name of Yeshua is the name of our Redeemer. And to fulfill this will, to fulfill this will in all men, He's sent his son to redeem us and gave birth to his children and this was the effort of God this was the will of God but then it says though Abraham does not know us so Israel acknowledge us that we're just Gentiles were not of the flesh and blood. There's no hope and no possibility for us to be saved. But our Lord Jesus Christ came to fulfill the will of the Father that was decided in eternity. He fulfilled that will and now he sends the Holy Spirit and those who receive his blood, let his will be fulfilled in us. Hallelujah. Because we still have this flesh and are unable to live according to the word of God, but there is still hope. That as we read in the opening passage in 2 Timothy, that even if we are faithless, yet our Lord remains faithful. And he does not deny, he cannot deny himself. That even if we are faithless, even if we are unfaithful, mankind, me, I am unfaithful or a faithless one, or because we believe not. We have lost belief and live like an unbeliever even. Even if we are faithless because yet he remains faithful, he is still faithful. Because he is faithful, he cannot disown himself. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself that if we come before him in tears and confess, he cannot deny himself that he cannot not forgive so you take my blood and my flesh for my blood will forgive and cleanse your sins and he cannot deny that fact for he is faithful we will forgive us our sins and therefore we have hope in this day we still have and can go before Jesus boldly and confidently though we Are faithless and unfaithful, yet as he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself, he cannot disown himself. For God there are two unchangeable things that first his will does not change, and second he cannot lie, and what he promises he will surely fulfill. Hallelujah. But there is an incident where he said, I do not know you that In the parable of the ten virgins, the five ran out of oil and went to buy oil. But by the time they came back, the door was shut and they pleaded to open the door. And he said, I don't know you, meaning he will deny you, which means there is timing that there is timing that while in the flesh, when we confess and mourn before God, he will forgive us whatever the sin. And as he is faithful, as he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself and he will surely listen and forgive. But if we lose the chance and the timing. So now as we approach the end of 2023, we ought to look back on the past year and not let it just pass by but all the things we have done wrong all the unrighteousness the laziness the evil the lies uh, the hatred all of that let us all let us pour it out all before him and confess and as he is faithful as he remains faithful he cannot he will not deny us and will receive us and let us be those he receives let us pray